Happy Mother's Day to all. We are incredibly grateful for all of you. Uh, incredibly grateful for all the things mothers have provided for us. And if this is a painful day for you, we just want to communicate that we want to hold space with you. We want to mourn with you and hope that there might come a day in which this becomes an opportunity for celebration, an opportunity for hope and joy. Well, today is my final teaching, a final deposit in this community for an extended amount of time. Uh, Cassie will teach one more time here in May, but then we are going to take an extended break. Uh, we're going to take a break and invite nine different voices from this community to teach through the summer. And um, this is important for two reasons. One, well, three reasons. One, we just want to communicate what to expect, and we also want you to be a part of cheering on and hearing from your fellow community members. But this also gives us an opportunity to all hear from a di diverse cast of voices, gives us the opportunity to hear from others that maybe you haven't heard from before and gives us an opportunity to sit under their teachings. We recognize uh, that this is an incredibly gifted community and Cassie and I are not the only ones with the gift of teaching. So we'll be hearing from Corbin, Amanda, Justin, Bryce, Brad, Joe, Sam Weaver, Alicia, and who? Christina. Yes, you hear from Christina but you'll be hearing from her in a different way. And so we're just incredibly excited um, for the opportunity it provides this community. It just also gives Cassie and I an opportunity to rest and receive. We'll be here throughout the summer. You will see us basically every single Sunday. Um, we're just going to take up our spot sitting and listening and receiving. And so it's something we're incredibly excited about. So next week, Justin will begin our series through the Minor Prophets. Um, so we'll spend 12 weeks working through these little paid attention to texts and uncovering what they might mean for us to think through what it means to be God's covenant people. Um, Justin made the joke this morning, as we enter into ordinary time, it makes sense that we're going to the Minor Prophets and not the Major Prophets. <laughs> Uh, it would be extraordinary time if we were going to the major prophets, but we're going to spend our time in the minor prophets. Now, we've got a few weeks, but on June 4th, uh, we begin the church calendar season called Ordinary Time. Ordinary Time is what we call the months not included in feasting or fasting in the church calendar. Seasons such as Advent, Lent, and Easter take up most of our imagination, but ordinary time is this extended moment in which we learn what it means to be Easter people. Easter people in the midst of the mundane, the boring, and the ordinary moments of life. To, as Eugene Peterson puts it, make an intentional deliberate decision to believe and participate in resurrection life. A life out of death, a life that trumps death, a life that is the last word, Jesus' life. It is to take the dog days of summer and the excitement of fall and fumble our way through practices like wonder, 
Sabbath, meals, friendship, and baptism. It is to learn to build a life on Jesus' defeat of death. It is to learn to practice resurrection. In ordinary time, we are invited to wonder once again and fumble our way through living the resurrection of Jesus. Now, the natural impulse when I say practice resurrection The natural impulse would be to assume that practicing the resurrection is to move from mountaintop to mountaintop, from spectacle to spectacle. But anyone who has followed Jesus for a significant amount of time knows that most of our life is lived between the mountaintops, in the mundane and the ordinary. Most of our life with Jesus is lived in the ordinary time. The monotony of a nine-to-five workday. The never-ending cycle of washing, drying, and leaving your unfolded clothes basket in the corner of your room. The tedious schedule of emails, calls, and meetings. The constant realization that you have to feed you, yourself and your family three times a day. The humdrum of paying bills, making appointments, grocery shopping, and saying, I'll take care of the dishes tomorrow. I know who you are. The inconvenience of an oil change, and this is your reminder, go get your oil changed. It won't last another thousand miles. Most of our life isn't lived in the ecstasy of a mountaintop, but in the monotonous moments between mountains. Most of our life is lived in the ordinary, or as Eugene Peterson puts it, the long obedience in the same direction. So the question I want to pose for us today is, how do we live in the ordinary moments with God? How do we inhabit the quiet, the boring, and the utterly ordinary moments of life with faithfulness and love? Is there a way to infuse the monotony with the sacred. The promise of Jesus is not the occasional moment of encounter, but that we can develop a lifelong friendship that includes the most boring moments of life on planet Earth. Jesus' invitation is to become aware of his presence in every moment of our life. And this is the subject of our teaching text in John 14. So if you want to turn with me to John 14 on your phone, if you've got a paper Bible, we're going to take a look at it. In chapter 13, John tells his accounts of the Last Supper. And John deviates a little bit from Matthew, Mark, and Luke and includes this story about Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. This is a lived parable in which the king of the universe gets up from the table and stains his hands with the dirt from his followers' feet. And then he goes on to predict that one of his disciples would betray him, and on cue, Judas goes out into the night prepared to deliver his teacher over to the Sadducees' murderous schemes. So 14 through 17 comprises this long moment of teaching in which Jesus is walking with his disciples, and it has become known as the farewell discourse. 
This is uh, the last teaching of Jesus in the Gospel of John prior to the cross. It's his final moment alone with his closest friends before he will do the unimaginable. And Bruce Maline observes that this is Jesus' final deposit, meant to prepare his followers for their post-Easter work. It is his parting words before he will turn the world upside down. And this is what he says in verse 15 of chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you will know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus promises that his followers, those who seek to obey him, they will experience a familiar presence in every moment of life. This is Jesus' introduction into the third member of the Trinity. He's introducing us to the one we call Holy Spirit. Gordon Fee offers a helpful description of who the Holy Spirit is. God's empowering presence. A divine person offering power and presence. To be clear, the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Spirit is not an it, despite my verbal snafus. I have a bad habit of it. The Spirit is not good vibes or a great feeling. The Spirit is God's empowering presence that is near to us. A divine person with us in every moment of life guiding us into the kingdom. And with the rest of this passage... Jesus will go on to emphasize two major themes about the nature of this person we call Holy Spirit. First, the guidance of the Spirit in the life of his followers. And second, the presence of the Spirit in the life of Jesus' followers. And so those two themes of guidance and presence will kind of offer our roadmap through this passage as we talk about what it looks like to inhabit ordinary time with our God. So first, the Spirit guides us. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and knows them, he it is who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Moms, use that today. Three times in this short discourse, Jesus beckons all who love him to follow his ways through obedient action. Jesus wants us to understand that his proclamation of the kingdom, his healing of the sick, his expulsion of evil, and his humble service is a pattern for us to follow. But there is often a disconnect between what we see Jesus doing on the pages of Scripture and what we do in our life. How would Jesus navigate the incredibly ordinary, boring, and mundane moments of life in 21st century Kansas City? The good news is that he sends the Spirit to help us. The first theme is that the Spirit offers us guidance into a life shaped by the resurrection of Jesus. 
The work of the Spirit is to carry on Jesus' own ministry and mission. Later in John 16, Jesus says this, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Keener, commenting on our passage, writes this, The Spirit, above all else, carries on Jesus' mission and mediates his presence. The personal functions of the Spirit are also the functions of Jesus in the rest of the book, and the sensitive reader cannot miss the connection. In Acts 16 and Philippians 1, uh, the Spirit is explicitly referred to and given the title as the Spirit of Jesus. And I think that's a helpful distinction. It leads us to the realization that the Spirit is leading us to do what Jesus would do if he were us. The Spirit is providing guidance on taking the words of our first century rabbi and applying it to our 21st century life. Lessons on living the resurrection in our time, in our city, in our neighborhood. The Spirit is in the habit of taking the things we read in Scripture, like love your neighbor as yourselves, and giving us a new idea on how to love our neighbor, a simple act like truffles and a bow. The Spirit is in the process of guiding us into doing the things Jesus would do if he were us. I don't think the Spirit is in the game of brand new revelation all the time as much as he is in the game of new interpretation of the life we see on the pages of Scripture. It's inviting us into walking in the way of Jesus. It's this interpretive guidance that might sound utterly ordinary, mundane, and potentially very familiar. The Spirit might say something like, invite them to lunch. Give them the tin in your wallet. Ask if you can pray for her. Ask how he is really doing. Turn off the TV and take a walk. Explain. Jesus is peace in your life. Ask to pray for healing. Don't continue this conversation. Encourage them. What if the Spirit has been guiding your imagination for a long time? It's just so utterly familiar you've learned to tune it out. This is not to say that the human conscious is the spirit, but that ideas, images, promptings, and action aimed at love of God and love of neighbor are the unmistakable marks of the spirit. A simple invitation to do something out of the ordinary for the sake of another might be a simple prompting of the spirit to walk in the way of Jesus. I think for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we are very familiar with receiving an idea of serving someone. We're very familiar walking and passing someone in the hall and thinking, I should say something to them. But whether it's you don't have the time, the energy, or the motivation, or the patience to continue the conversation, we quickly dismiss this prompting. 
What if we've been missing the familiar prompting of the Spirit because we've been waiting for something unfamiliar? We've been waiting to hear from something foreign and unfamiliar, and we've missed the little moments to bring mending and healing and hope to someone's life. Maybe it's not that God hasn't been speaking, but that you are too familiar, tuning out his voice because it sounds like a whisper. But God is in the business of whispering. He doesn't shout very often. And this is what he's been doing from the beginning, inviting his people to draw close in order to hear his still, small voice. He whispers because it invites an intimacy and a companionship. Let's pick up in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If I'm honest, I oftentimes think to myself, it, if I could have just witnessed Jesus, if I could have just sat on the dusty ground of Israel and sat at the teacher's feet, this would all be so much easier. Do you have that idea at times? I think it's a common thought, but I think it's wrong for two reasons. First, as the Gospels lay out, the people closest to Jesus, the disciples, frankly missed it a whole lot. Peter denies Jesus. John runs away from the Thomas doubted the resurrection, and Judas betrayed him. The second problem with that sentiment is that in this passage, Jesus promises to be around. To make himself available to the people in that day and our own. The problem with the sentiment is that Jesus is around in his spirit. We don't need to wonder about what it would look like to sit at his feet in first century Israel. He is beckoning us to sit at his feet and sit with him now. Dallas Willard long had this practice of leaving an empty chair in front of him so that he would constantly be reminded of God's presence in his life. I don't know that the Spirit actually sat there, but it was a tangible reminder of the promise we read in scripture that the spirit is present with us jesus says and he who loves me will be loved by my father and i will love him and manifest myself to him by manifest jesus means that he will appear be made known or made plain to all who would follow in his way we are not left fatherless directionless or unprovided for there is one called the helper that guides our growth and our maturity into the likeness of jesus the spirit is not a substitute for the lord the spirit is the real thing the spirit is the presence of god made available to all of god's people the manifest present uh, presence of god 
made available to all of us. This theme of God's presence is something that Dallas Willard calls the golden thread. A pattern, a theme of God's presence and his companionship in the life of his people going from one end of scripture all the way to the other. God strolls through the garden with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Enoch walks and talks with God until one day the conversation is finished. Three angelic guests share a meal with Abraham and Sarah. Jacob wrestles with an angel until he receives a blessing. Moses encounters God in a burning bush and as a light on Mount Sinai. God guides the children of Israel in a pillar of fire and a glowing cloud. As a kid, Samuel is invited into a divine conversation. The major and minor prophets hear from God and are entrusted to relay his message to the people. An angel announces the birth of Jesus to Mary face to face. Divinity becomes incarnate in Jesus Christ. There are multiple resurrection appearances of Christ to his followers. In his final commissioning, Jesus prepares his followers by saying, I will be with you to the end of the age. At the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the divine presence is poured out on the sons and daughters of Israel. Paul is taken into the third heaven and makes Christ in you his number one message. Baptism in the early church is seen as participating in the death of Christ and brought into the present reality of the Trinity. The biblical text, our scriptures, time and time again, reveal God's desire to be with his people, to dwell in our midst. And Jesus' invitation is to wake up to that reality in every moment of life. His invitation is to see the story of scripture played out in our lives as we beckon and become aware of the Spirit's reality in our everyday moments. In verse 22, the other Judas, which, side note, it would be really rough to be the other Judas. (laughs) But he asks a good question. In verse 22, Lord, how? How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. The Spirit of God is not sent to us just as a giver of spiritual gifts, but to give us a sense of intimacy with God himself. The absurd and outrageous promise of this passage is that the triune God is making his home in our poor and needy hearts. God revealed as Father, Son, and Spirit making his home dwelling in you and I. The profound invitation of this passage is to participate in this divine community of love, to know and be transformed by his love. I know the phrase, Jesus lives in my heart, can be cliche and trite, 
It can become the way in which we explain Christianity to, G- to kids. See, Jesus lives in your heart. It's kind of become a cliche. But let's just for a moment consider the magnitude of this reality. That the God of the cosmos has decided to take up residency in each of us. This is a level of intimacy, affection, and friendship previously unknown. God is not just interested in going to church with you. He is interested in spending every single moment with you. Let that sink in, the reality of God's love for you. The oil change, he's interested in spending time with you. Going to school, he's interested in walking beside you. Walking the dog, he's interested in all the things going on. Grabbing the mail, responding to emails, looking for a job, dropping the kids off, running errands, making dinner. Every moment, no matter how mundane or ordinary, lived with our God. That's what it means that he takes up residence with us. That at every moment he is a present reality. Just waiting for us to pay attention. Waiting for us to hear his still small voice. He's saying I love you and I like you. Sometimes we can say God loves you at nauseum. And it's like yeah, tell me something I don't know. God loves you and he likes you. He delights in all the ways you burn the food. He loves spending time with you in the radically ordinary moments. There's this classic Christian book called Practicing the Presence of God. Many of you may be familiar with it. It details a series of conversations with a 17th century French monk named Brother Lawrence. And Brother Lawrence's job in the monastery was the dishes, a decidedly mundane and non-spiritual task. But in the mundane, Lawrence cultivated an awareness and a sensitivity to the Spirit of God in his life. And this is what the author writes in Practicing the Presence of God. The most effective way Brother Lawrence had for communicating with God was to simply do his ordinary work. He did this obediently out of a pure love of God, purifying it as much as was humanly possible. He believed it was a serious mistake to think of our prayer time as being different from any other. Our actions should unite us with God when we are involved in our daily activities, just as our prayers unite us with him in our quiet devotions. Another spiritual mother of ours, Teresa of Avila, once wrote, love turns work into rest. What if the chores of everyday life, the running and going, is a simple invitation for you to turn your attention to the love of God poured out on you and an opportunity to find rest in his presence? Mundane moments charged with divine possibility. Ordinary time infused with the potential to encounter the love of our God. 
errands, workplace, and chores transformed into soul-level rest. And I think this is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 11. Eugene Peterson paraphrases it this way. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus' invitation is to become aware of his presence in every moment of life. That he is making his home in you and in I. Worship team, if you want to join. As we prepare to go into the season of ordinary time, where there's no particular agenda outside of being the people of God together. The invitation of this final deposit for some time is to become aware of God's very present nearness. That he is close to you and wants to spend time with you. That his invitation is come and find rest in me. Find rest in my love. I think it's fitting on a Mother's Day to mention this book by Ronald Royhauser. He has this great little book called Domestic Monasteries. And in it, he recalls this moment he had with a young mother. He had just been this, spent his time lecturing on the importance of daily devotions. And she comes up to him with that exhausted, like traumatic look of a young mother going like, how? <laughs> like, what? What does one hour of prayer mean to me? He responded, You are home alone with small children whose needs give you very little uninterrupted time, then you don't need an hour of private prayer daily. Raising small children, if it is done with love and generosity, will do for you exactly what private prayer does. He wasn't saying they didn't need to pray, but that every moment is an invitation into seeing how God's love is being played out in our lives. A life lived in love and awareness to God is a life of prayer. Every moment can be a prayer moment. Every moment for a young mother can be a prayer moment for help, guidance, and presence. Moms, you have a lot to teach us. Returning to the passage, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Brother Lawrence will go on to say, in order to know God, we must often think of him. When we come to love him, we shall often, we shall then, excuse me, we shall then also think of him often. 
for our hearts will be with our treasure. The simple invitation of this passage is to come to know our God's presence simply by thinking of him often. It is the surprisingly simple practice of thinking of God and redirecting our attention to him when we inevitably get distracted. We must carve out space in our mental drunk junk drawer and continue to turn our attention to God. As you wash your dishes, think of yourself in the likeness of Brother Lawrence. It's an opportunity to thank God for regularly giving you your daily bread. An opportunity to spend time with the God who loves you and likes you. As you go about your work day, what opportunities do you have to pray for or encourage a coworker? As you go about the monotony of your life, pay attention. Simple practice I would suggest to you is to repeat a simple prayer. For the last six months or so, I have been praying a simple and an ancient prayer as often as I can think of it. Come, Holy Spirit. I try to make it the first words out of my mouth in the morning as I turn over and I don't want to get out of bed. It's almost a beckoning, Lord, give me the strength to get out of the sheets. I try to pray it as we go into our co-working space that I might have moments of encounter in which I might be able to encourage someone who works there. Like 20 times a day, I try to pray, come Holy Spirit. A simple prayer that anchors us in the reality that our God is with us and invites him to speak to us. An invitation to experience the mundane moments transformed into something sacred. What if come Holy Spirit was your first prayer in the morning? What if it was the prayer you breathed out before you walked into the office or logged on to your laptop? What if it was the prayer you said before the coffee meeting? A prayer that went through your mind as you go on the walk, you head into the gym or to the grocery store. Listen, in the words Michael Scott, you miss percent of the risks you don't take. What's the harm in beginning to open yourself up to the possibility that the Lord is speaking to you here and now? And on Monday, and on Tuesday, and on Wednesday. What is the harm in just simply saying, come Holy Spirit? If you would, stand with me. If you're comfortable, there's this ancient posture of, Receiving, which is just standing with your hands out before you. An invitation to the Spirit to just come and be. If you would, close your eyes as we'll come to a moment of silence and stillness. We pray, come Holy Spirit.
Spirit, we ask that you would remind us of your love. That you would remind us of your affection for us. The unmerited grace and goodness you continue to give us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would prompt our thoughts in the midst of our workplace. In the midst of going about the mundane and the ordinary, that we would recognize it as a moment you'd recognize it as a moment in which we can meet with you. We pray that in the ordinary and mundane moments of life, we would be reminded that you have made your home in each of us. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Midtown Church Weekly Podcast. To find out more or to join a church gathering, check out our website at midtownkc.church.